0: I'll give you a couple of for instances we don't have trash cans in the dining room when you go down the line and seth is building your bowl when you get to the end of the line my team members run your bowl to a table if you didn't get a drink we bring you a glass of water we pre bus your table every guest that sits in the dining room gets a dual soft serve sample at the end of their meal cool. we come over we bust your table we throw it away in the trash cans that are not in the dining room because we want you to come in like you're a guest in our house
1: This week's episode is all about innovation, staying relevant, and creating a dynamic concept that is based on a very strong company culture. You're not going to want to miss this episode, and if you haven't already, head on over to restaurantrockstars.com forward slash profits, because I'm giving away three ways you are killing your restaurant profits, immediately actionable information that may transform your bottom line. Now, on with the episode.
2: You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Imagine both your front and back of house teams are so well-trained that they're executing flawlessly your front of house is doubling your sales, boosting repeat business, and creating five-star dining experiences, while your back of house is consistently preparing each dish to perfection, on time and to spec. Having a restaurant this dialed takes a unique training system. That's where Serve comes in. Serve means study restaurant variety. And it is a powerful, mobile training system, custom-built to meet the needs of your restaurant. Serve will up-level your team's knowledge and skills, maximize your profits, and create experiences guests will rave about. Serve is the key to unlocking your restaurant's hidden potential and will prove that the more your team is able to learn, the more your restaurant will earn. It's Serve, and it's a game-changer. Ready to Serve? Get started at ServeNow.com
1: restaurateurs and managers, every day guests are asking your servers one simple question that can make or break your bottom line. That question, what do you recommend? Studies show that 92% of diners will order whatever their server suggests, so if you're not already doing everything you can to harness the influence of your frontline team, it's time to start. I'm excited to introduce you to Sparkplug, an all-in-one customizable incentive management platform designed for restaurants. Sparkplug fully automates sales contests, goals, commissions, letting you build incentives, track real-time metrics, and fulfill prizes in one dashboard. Over a thousand businesses are using Sparkplug to motivate and engage their front of house to ensure they always have the perfect answer when asked, what do you recommend? Now you can too. Sparkplug is free to try and is offering my podcast listeners $200 off their first sales incentive. Visit sparkplug.app forward slash rockstars to claim your $200. That's sparkplug.app forward slash rockstars. Hey, everyone, it's the Restaurant Rockstars podcast with me today, Mr. Mark Setterington. He is the co-founder and CEO of a fast-growing concept. It is called Island Fin Poke. Welcome to the show, Mark. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. So I am familiar with poke. I have not yet tried it. I'm interested to try it. But very first thing, let's talk about what it is. What exactly is poke?
0: (laughs) Well, uh, the the word itself is a, a Hawaiian. It's a verb that oh. you know means to slice or to cut. Oh, gotcha. So it would be, you know, where it came from was the fishermen would go out and they would catch fish, and basically the poke was the the scraps, and they would slice it or they would cut it up and mix it with a little soy sauce or sesame oil and some Maui onions and green onions, and that's what they would snack on when they were when they were fishing and it just became, you know, what it is today. And for us, you know, ours is mainland pokey. So what I mean there is if you go to Hawaii, you go to the grocery store, you're buying, you know, they'll have eight, 10, 12 different kinds of pre-marinated fish. You buy it by the pound. You eat it out of the tub with chopsticks. Well, that really wouldn't fly on the mainland because we like choices. So, to describe ours would be saying we are we're like chipotle but different so you come in you walk down the line you choose your base white rice brown rice spring mix we have eight proteins five mix-in vegetables then we have five house-made gluten-free marinating sauces you know another 15 to 20 toppings five more house-made finishing saucings uh fishing sauces and then we have crispy toppings and and you just sit down, and it's delicious.
1: So it's a customized, um, sort of a curated experience. Where similar, you mentioned the Chipotle concept. Everyone knows what that's about. But you're literally picking your fish, and picking your toppings, and picking your sauces and your marinades, and all this stuff. And then you end up with, is it all in
0: bowl form? Is it served any other way? Nope, just in bowls. We okay. we we know exactly who we are. Yeah, and we do that, and we do it very well. We're just poke bowls. That's it.
1: Right on. So you mentioned the origins and being out on the fishing boat, perhaps, and you talked about cutting in fish pieces. That tells me that it's similar to sushi in that it is a raw fish.
0: Is it still for the mainland raw fish? Is it huh? prepared in any way? Nope. We have, so we have tuna, spicy tuna, and salmon that are all raw. Yes. And then for us, we have chicken that's cooked. We have octopus that cook. We have shrimp that is ceviche. Yes we have tofu. And then of course we have spam because, well, you got to have spam.
1: So, okay. That's an eclectic mix, but it's a diverse mix. So people can literally custom craft their bowl with a variety of proteins. Fish is sort of the traditional, but now you've added other things because we are of course in America and people like choices, like you said. Awesome. So now we know what poke is. Let's talk about your backstory in hospitality. And how did you come to co-found and lead this organization. So you can take us back wherever it really started for you.
0: So my first job uh, at 16 years old, I was a dishwasher at an Elias Brothers Big Boy in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was a dishwasher for about 30 days and I got promoted to cook. I was the first high school kid that the franchise owner had ever promoted to cook. And I thought it was the greatest thing. So I graduated high school. I went to Michigan State University And I put myself through college working in restaurants and working in the cafeteria. So I came out of college debt-free. Probably could have had better grades, but coming out of college debt-free was important to me. So my degree was in purchasing, but all of my experience was in restaurants. So restaurants is where I gravitated to. My first real out-of-college job was at a company called The Ground Round.
1: Oh, I'm familiar with that. I used to hang out there when I was in college. We had one 15 minutes down the street, throw the peanut shells on the floor and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Keep going. I remember it.
0: It it was awesome. And then I, you know, I worked my way around. I, you know, spent time at, you know, Applebee's back when Applebee's was super small and, you know, uh, Ruby Tuesdays, uh, Darden with Bahama Breeze. So all very, corporate jobs. So the last 11 years, pre Island, then I was in Las Vegas working for big companies, uh, uh, Margaritaville on the strip, which was, you know, huge, yeah. 40 plus million in volume and 27,000 square feet, just enormous.
1: The Jimmy Buffett concept um, Margaritaville.
0: Oh yeah. Gotcha. I think
1: I, you know what? I went to a Margaritaville on Maui a long time ago. So I I remember that concept as well. Awesome. You've got an extensive experience, but keep going.
0: So when we decided to do this, uh, we decided to do something for ourselves. And it was obviously going to be a restaurant because it's what I know. And it also was going to be easy because this was about a lifestyle, not about buying a job, right? I mean, if I'm going to have a job and just worry about a paycheck, then I'll just work as a W2 team member for, for another company. So this was about lifestyle, but what we did when we started it is we built it as a company. So, you know, prep lists and checklists and everything, even when we had one, that one, that first restaurant in Winter Springs, Florida, when I remember the first time the health department guy came in, He came in and he was looking at our, you know, our prep list and our temperature checks and all that stuff. And he's like, where did you work before? Because he was expecting mom and pop. And we told him, Darden, he's like, okay, I get it. So when we decided to start franchising, we opened our first restaurant uh, March 20th, the 17th. We decided late 17 to start franchising. So we began the process of creating the FDD. We sold our first franchise in September of 18. We opened our first franchise July 10th of 2019. And now we're up to 24 restaurants open and we just closed a two unit deal yesterday. So we're up to 56 locations sold.
1: Nice. Wow. That's that's amazing. Are there company-owned stores or all franchise models?
0: We have we have one company store that's in Lake Nona. Yeah, and that's where we do all of our you know training, of course, any kind of research and development yep. for menu items, etc.
1: Okay. What's the average square footage of a store?
0: Our smallest restaurant is eleven hundred and seventy-five square feet. Mm-hmm. Our biggest restaurant is seventeen thirty-four, and that's Lake Nona. Our sweet spot is twelve to fifteen hundred square feet.
1: Right. And it's all fast, casual, quick service. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and we already described the concept of how you go down the line and pick your, obviously, your items. That's fantastic. How would you describe the vibe and the ambiance and the feel of it Bring us to walking in front door and what you hope your guests will experience and take away from it. In addition to the food, which is really why they're there, but what is the whole, you know, what's the vibe that really gets people saying, Hey, this is cool. I want to come back. I want to tell people, I want to pull out my camera phone, the social media stuff. Tell us about how you design that. And, and if it's bringing the whole Hawaiian culture thing to life, you know, what is it?
0: it well, uh, we say it's a five-star beach chat. So okay. our brand, yes, speech from the oh. time you walk in, yeah. everything is experiential. We have a, a custom channel, a custom music channel for Island Finpoke. And it's, you know, Jack Johnson and the like. Oh, yeah, so it, it. it sends you to the islands. Every restaurant has a TV <clears throat> and we're playing surf videos. And it's, you know, mostly competitions in Hawaii. So again, transported to the island. Every guest that walks in the door gets a warm welcome. Every guest gets a fond farewell on their way out. Every restaurant has a four foot sign that hangs on the wall that says no friends, just family, Ohana. And it's not about, you know, cultural appropriation, right? What it's about is a respect for the culture of Hawaii and for I spent nine weeks in Hawaii opening Jimmy Buffett's at the Beachcomber. And what I fell in love with in Hawaii was the culture because you're not greeted with a handshake, right? It is always a warm welcome and a hug. It's not a handshake and hi, how are you today? It's very, it's warm, it's inviting, it's family. And that's how we treat you as a guest. So Everything we do is experiential. We don't want anything about Island fin to be transactional. Chipotle, God love them. I'd love to have a thousand restaurants, but Chipotle is transactional. It's about the burrito. It's about the food. You go there, you get your food, you leave, you don't think twice about it. And Island fin isn't like that because when you come in, you're coming in to see Taylor or Zoe or Seth or your favorite team member. And a lot of times these team members remember what you eat, just like your favorite bartender at the pub, right? So it really makes you have a hard choice when you're deciding where to go and eat.
1: That's a powerful concept. You mentioned the word Ohana. So please first explain what that means. I think it's got a relation to family and that Hawaiian culture of greeting and hugging and being part of something immediately So I want you to define Ohana and tell us about that. But then also there's a huge training and onboarding aspect to obviously uh, transform your staff in all the locations to provide that Ohana feeling a consistent experience and really care about the end experience of your guests. So take us through that whole concept.
0: Ohana is, is, is all about family and Mm -hmm. it's not blood family. It's, it's your extended family. Okay. And in Hawaii, I mean, You're going to, you have people that are family that are not blood related and that's how we treat people. So when we're going through the franchise process, right, when you come down to Florida, you've gone through the sales process, you come to Orlando, you spend time in Lake Nona for your discovery day. As much as you are there uh, interviewing us to see if you want to buy the franchise, we're doing the same to you. And it's about do we wanna do we wanna sign this 10-year deal with you? And do we think that we could break bread with you over the next 10 years? And that's what it comes to. We have to get that personality trait from you because if you don't treat your team members like that and your vendors like that, et cetera, your team members aren't gonna treat your guests like that. And it'll show. The the franchisees that are wildly successful, like Jim and Marilyn Way in Worcester, Massachusetts, Jeff Garrity in Sarasota, uh, uh, Jeff and Brenda Spro, they understand this. And it's very evident how they take care of the guests in their restaurant. Right. So it's it's culture. And it comes from my, I, I worked for Bahama Breeze with Darden. And Darden being such a huge company and you hear, you know, military and whatever. Well, when I was at Bahama Breeze, the thing that made Bahama Breeze great was it was a culturally driven restaurant. And every decision was based on um, this little book that we had called The Bahama Breeze Way. And every decision you made as a manager, as a team member, as a president of the company had to be based in the Bahama Breeze Way so that everything stayed within the guardrails of the culture of the restaurant and that's how i want uh island from poke to feel because without the culture we're just like everybody else you know and you don't hear anyone say that about chick-fil-a right you go to chick-fil-a and it's uh yes sir no sir my pleasure and that's how we want people to think of us
1: Okay, so we're talking about a culture of a restaurant that comes from a culture based on Ohana. And I'm totally getting this whole family, extended family thing. And that that is a beautiful thing because that is a competitive advantage. And that is true caring and attentive service and treating people, even if they're a first-time visitor, as if they were a regular or a loyal customer. And then you're mentioning that your people are getting to know people and what they eat and all that sort of thing, similar to, like you said, the bar or pub experience. I think that unto itself is a is a really powerful thing. So now that culture is so deeply ingrained, it's practiced on a daily basis. And it's it's not just some mission statement that hangs on the wall that everybody forgets about. And occasionally you look at it and you're like, yeah, whatever. This is actually practiced because it's based in the culture of Island Finn and what you're all about and what your goals are and what you what the end result you want your guests to experience, and then how that leads to positive word of mouth and the reviews and all that stuff. That's great. Let's talk about poke as as a as a dining experience and how well that is being received and how that message is being disseminated to guests who may have never tried it much like myself how are you getting word out and and how you know how are guests receiving it once they first experience it are they immediately like wow is it a certain target customer that is a health conscious person that's looking for you know non-processed non-fried foods that that are really good for you in addition to enjoying the experience of island fin
0: well i think what happened was we, we only had a couple restaurants open pre-pandemic. And honestly, I, th- I feel like we were a little bit ahead of our time because it is healthy. And what the pandemic showed people is that you really need to start thinking about what you're putting in your body. So we were a little ahead of the curve. So one of the things that we really preach to the franchisees is food drops. So what we mean by that is uh, three, four days a week we take five ounce sample bowls and five ounce dual soft serves and we go to local businesses and we introduce ourselves and who we are and where we are. And we take a chicken bowl, a salmon bowl, a tuna bowl, a spicy tuna bowl. So they get to taste a variety of our food and our sauces and our topics. And what we tell the franchisees is realistically, once we put our food in your mouth, we own you, and I know that sounds cocky, but our food's that good. So it's legitimately when you taste the food and it's it's flavorful, it's colorful. There are so many different textures. It's amazing what's going on in your mouth. And every time we do food drops, we get guests in, and once a guest comes in, you know. 80, 85% of the time, they turn into regulars. So you don't generally come into an island fin one time.
1: Is there a business to business component there where your franchisees can then do catering? Does this product travel well? Can they do lunches at doctors' offices and all that kind of stuff as an additional profit center? Is that happening now?
0: 100%. We, awesome. um, you know, and the franchisees that embrace it mm-hmm. are doing very well with it. St. Pete, uh, the franchisee in St. Pete has you know, a uh, pharmaceutical rep that's a regular now. And every uh, every other week, every third week, <clears throat> she's doing 30 bowls for a doctor's office. So these things work. We've got a franchisee who has an in with with uh, Chase and he does uh, one of their corporate offices and sells mini bowls, you know, to the tune of a couple thousand dollars a couple times a month. So there's a lot of catering opportunity that we're just scratching the surface of, you know, people are tired of, uh, Panera or the same old, same old that these pharmaceutical reps and whatnot are bringing you. So Island Fin is a great change of pace and people are really falling in love with it.
1: Would you say that there is a very well-defined guest demographic in terms of age? Is it all over the place? Is it massively appealing to all age groups?
0: it's funny because when we started this, you're thinking millennials and yep. uh, skewing female and whatever. But mm-hmm. if you came and sat in a restaurant, you would be amazed. You see sexual kids eating kids' bowls with raw fish, not chicken. You see, I've got a couple that come into Lake Nona and you know they're 70 plus years old and we're their date spot. And they just, they love it. And it's about you know, they're not elderly and concerned with eating raw fish because they trust the quality of the product that we're bringing in. And we don't sacrifice on product quality.
1: Right. So I'm getting the sense, uh, this is clearly a very unique concept that stands apart in so many different ways, but do you, and, and you don't have to name any names of other competitors, but who do you, or what do you consider to be competition for poke and your concept Island
0: Fin? For us, it's, you know, any fast casual, mm-hmm. okay? Right? Because yeah. we're, we're reasonably priced. I mean, you know, if you go to McDonald's right now and get a value meal, it's 10 bucks. So a three scoop uh, bowl at Island Fin is 14 and you're not putting, you know, processed Right, garbage right, right. food in your mouth.
1: Yeah, so, GMOs and all the other stuff that goes into all those other fast casual or fast food restaurants that obviously lead to all those problems with you know obesity and and addictions and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're you're offering a very healthy alternative. It is all natural, which is which is a wonderful thing. And that's exactly go- it. Let's talk about the pandemic because you said perhaps the timing was ahead of its curve, and then you launched, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. Yet you were very uniquely positioned with a fast casual concept, but there still had to be some pivots, and you had franchise franchise operators that are franchisees, I should say, within your fold that. Everything went sideways. And then you guys had to quickly damage control and come up with a plan for the future. And what did that look like? And was it complicated? N- less so than a full serve sit-down restaurant that had to close entirely. Uh, you know, tell me about that. What 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 was that uh, you know, what was that transition like for you? And how quickly did it recover? And then I want to talk about the phenomenal growth that you've had because literally sales are exploding here. So
0: the, the beauty was we have a great partnership with our POS company, Toast. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and back then our Toast rep was local. And so what happened was when everybody got shut down to takeout and delivery only, Justin sent me a text message and he said, what restaurant are you in? I said, Lake Nona. He said, do you want curbside pickup for all your restaurants? I'm like, hell yes, right? 10 minutes later, Justin was in my restaurant and 10 minutes after Justin got to my restaurant, curbside pickup was turned on for all of our locations. That was it. Boom. We Lightning
1: were fast. <laughs> it,
0: yeah. it says something about who our partners are and how our partners feel about our business. Mm-hmm. And that was the pivot. So we only had four restaurants that had any runway pre pandemic. And that was Worcester, Wesley Chapel, Lake Nona and Winter Springs. So those four restaurants actually did very well during the lockdown. And I say that because during the lockdown, what people would do is they would bypass the big corporations and they would buy from their local restaurants. And that's where we tell our, our franchisees that you need to be involved in the community because they need to look at your Island Fin as a neighborhood joint. Right. And when your guests feel mm-hmm. like Island Fin is a neighborhood joint, you're going to be successful because people are really conscious of where they're spending money.
1: For sure. Right.
0: And they want mm-hmm. to support the little guy. So we had four restaurants open pre pandemic we ended 2020, oh man, we probably opened eight restaurants that year. And now we're up to, we just opened our 24th and we'll open another three to six this year. So it's, the great thing is that 2022, you know, supply chain and inflation on the side, this is our first real year of normalcy if you will yes and we're seeing it in the year-over-year sales as a company we're 40 percent same-store sales um, growth in general we're 105 percent year-over-year counting the restaurants that were not open last year um, it's just it is phenomenal it we're we're growing and we're going to continue to grow
1: so different food concepts and different cuisines obviously have different profit margins attached to them. Can you, you know, state what the profit margin, a typical profit margin, is in the menu that you're serving for the average operator?
0: Uh, our cost of goods, mm-hmm. you know, varies anywhere. We have restaurants that are running a 27 percent, okay, and we have restaurants that are running a 35 percent. It all it all comes down to the operator. You know, I can't even say that my restaurant is the best because we're not. Lake Known is running a 29.5 year to date. And I have four restaurants that are running better than me. So it's a little all over the board. And what I mean by that is if you're a franchisee and you embrace the process, poor testing, the WSR, um, the way that we purchase, you're gonna run good cost of goods. And if you stray or don't wanna take advantage of the tools that we have in place, you're not going to do well. And every one of those 6% that you're running high in food costs is money out of your pocket.
1: Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pot menu answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours? Within the Pot menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24 7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. You mentioned the importance of partners, suppliers, vendors, that sort of thing, and the loyalty that comes with the service that Obviously you provide them with great business and they obviously in turn provide Mm -hmm. you with great product and service systems, that sort of thing. You mentioned a great relationship with toast. Are you running into, obviously there's economies of scale with, with large scale purchasing. And obviously you've got vendor relationships for your food and beverage products and all that sort of thing. Have you run into any problems with the supply chain issues and rising prices and how have you counteracted that? Has it been somewhat insulated because of your volume? prices have still risen? Have you had to raise individual store prices? Take us through that whole thing.
0: It's been, it's been all over the board. Mm -hmm. I mean, the supply chain is what it is right now. Um, we're, we are blessed to have, uh, we have a great partner for our salmon. So we have contract pricing and we have a great partner for our tuna. So we have contract pricing and those are our two biggest, biggest expense items. Mm. But you're talking about, Mm -hmm. um, everything there's not one item that hasn't increased in the last year so finally we took a, a one dollar price increase up to fourteen dollars for most restaurants in april on april 1st so that's how you know we've done it but it's you know not not a single guest has complained it's all about making sure that that fourteen dollars is still a value and if you look at our bulls on social media That's what our bowls look like. I know a lot of restaurants have taken all of the price increases they had, they can, and now what they're doing is they're reducing portions on plates. And we're not going to do that. Our portions are what they are. Three scoops are three scoops. It's you know three and a half to four ounces of protein, and all the other toppings are included. And we don't. We're not going to nickel and dime you. A lot of poke places are. You know, you get three or four toppings, and after that, there's a charge. And for us, every topping is included except for our premium toppings of surimi, masago, and avocado. So, other than that, if you want 20 toppings on your bowl, get 20 toppings on your bowl. We're we're more than happy to serve you.
1: So, it's been a benefit to have extensive variety and choices um, in your locations. Have there ever been a time where? The supply chain literally limited your availability of certain items. Like what happens if suddenly tuna, you just can't get it on the volume you need it. Has that happened to any extent? Or
0: it's been it's there have been a couple of weeks where it was sketchy. We've still been able to get it, but the supply has picked back up. So our partnership with Phillips, every they produce Waterman's reserve for us. So every ounce of fish under this label that they produce, comes to island fin pokey. So we're lucky. Now, there's been times when we can't get gluten-free masago. Mm-hmm. You just run without gluten-free masago for a week or two. But it's never been a, a an issue where we have five holes on the mega top. It's, you know, you might struggle with one ingredient for a week or two ingredients for a week, but never. You're out of four, five, six things at a time.
1: Let's talk about service in terms of what guests expect. And in a fast, casual concept, especially when you're busy, you have limited time to make suggestions, really interact with guests. Yet you are also stating that your staff are brand ambassadors for your business and that people are asking for them by name. Are there certain things that they do that they, as a natural course of providing that Ohana, that they can touch a guest in a personal way in a short period of time, build a relationship, serve them great product, and then get them back? Is it all about the personality? Is there more to it than that? Like, How do you make that connection in a short period of time with a new customer that walks in the door that you suddenly convert. You mentioned the food does it. The food is selling itself and people are coming back because of the food, but it's this magical combination of your people and your food equals success, right? Well,
0: I'll give you a couple of for instances. We don't have trash cans in the dining room. Mm -hmm. So when you go down the line and Seth is building your bowl When you get to the end of the line, my team members run your bowl to a table. Well, if you didn't get a drink, we bring you a glass of water. We pre bus your table. Every guest that sits in the dining room gets a dual soft serve sample at the end of their meal. We come over, we bus your table, we throw it away in the trash cans that are not in the dining room because we want you to come in like you're a guest in our house. If you come to my house, you're not carrying your dishes to the kitchen right i'm taking that ta- that that dish from you so as the guests go down the line it's never you know you go to restaurants that are set up like this and the the team members never look up it's eye contact it's a smile on their face and it's engaging you down the line and a description of the food and the description of the process and the description of the sauces so what Taylor tells you when she comes to train your team is you have 15 feet to form a relationship. The, the, uh, the service line is 15 feet long, and we take that serious. And our kids, these kids make tips. You know, I know in Lake Nona, the kids make anywhere from $30 in cash up to I've seen kids make $120 in tips on a shift. And the, the, the guests are just blown away with the service. And that's what they do. That's why I'm a very bad person to go out to eat with. Because right now, full-service restaurants are using COVID and staffing as an excuse for poor performance. Yes, and it, absolutely and right. It's, it's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Because I'm still coming to your restaurant and spending my money. And I expect that I'm going to get the experience that I deserve. And that's what we don't do at Island Thing We don't use staffing as an excuse. We don't have to because it's only ever two or three people on a shift. And the way that we're set up, the efficiencies of this restaurant, two or three people are able to execute the model and give this level of service.
1: Get big flavor without the labor with Smokin' Fast from Smithfield. It's fully cooked or smoked proteins, including American barbecue staples and global flavors. Everything from ribs to pulled chicken to brisket and barbacoa, all are authentically slow cooked to perfection. It's so delicious your guests will never know it wasn't smoked right in your own kitchen. Now, you can add barbecue to your menu without adding a pit master to your payroll. Visit SmithfieldCulinary.com. Okay, that's a wonderful point. Now, everyone works for a paycheck, and obviously, restaurants are a competitive industry. There's been a huge, obviously, exodus from this industry. Lots of restaurants are struggling with this labor crisis thing. However, besides offering people reasonable wages and incentives and all that kind of stuff. It's really the culture of the restaurant where people fit and they say, wow, I can make a difference here. I like the people I'm working with here. And that counts in some cases for more than what they're earning. And the gratuity opportunity is on top of that as a bonus. But I'm getting the sense that there's a real advantage in the way your business is operated and how fun it is perhaps to work there and how it's so much fun to interact with the guests that walk through the door and see them having a great experience and enjoying the food. And you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. And it's more than just the paycheck. Would you say that's true?
0: It's a fact. It and is. we've had our best success with high school kids that it's their first job. Nice. Right. And I yep. say this because you know during the school year, we close at nine o'clock, you're out by 930. You can still go home and do homework and you're not up till midnight. One. Two, you don't smell like a French fry, so you can change your clothes after work and go out with your friends, right? So I like to pick kids up when they're sophomores or juniors so that I can get them for two or three years. You know, I have 17, 18-year-old kids doing prep in my restaurant, making the sauces, opening the restaurant, counting the safe, and they like to have the um, the, uh, the challenge or be asked to do more than just the normal building bowls and whatnot. They like to have the authority to open up the safe and count the money. You yes. know,
1: I remember that and, feeling when you're young and you're given that kind of responsibility, you take it seriously and you feel like you've, you know, you've, you've earned that sense of responsibility.
0: hundred percent. Yeah. You and it's, there's a pride
1: involved you. there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yep. That's super. Let's go back to the gratuity because some of these people are making really good money. Now, interestingly, if you were to go back in time, you know, even now, okay, so full serve restaurants obviously provide the whole dining experience and obviously they serve you and all that kind of stuff. You're providing the whole cleanup experience, which is wonderful, and allowing people to be guests in your home. That that goes a long way. What I'm saying is fast casual places in the last couple of years have added that gratuity line to a guest check, or even if you're on a square point of sale or whatever it is, and you're signing, Mm -hmm. would you like to do 15%, 18, 20% even though it's a takeout experience? Now that's the new normal. Is it, um, is it automatic? Is it, um, encouraged is it not encouraged people are doing this on their own are they leaving people really good gratuities like 18 20% are you pooling amongst your you know your your service people behind the counter like how does that whole thing work is it all the- with the people behind the scenes that are actually preparing the f- well the whole line <clears throat> yeah. really right you got a cashier at the end but you got a whole line of people putting the bowls together
0: two or three people on a shift yep. everybody in the restaurant does everything Gotcha. Fishes, Restock everything. So they, all of the hourly team members Mm -hmm. share. So, as an example, we'll have first time guests come in, go down the line, pay for their bowl, not leave a tip because it's fast food. And then Seth will run the food to the table. Seth will go back. After a couple of bites, Seth will come out, check on them, see if they need a refill give them a dual soft serve sample, go oh, back. Right. They finish their meal. Seth comes out, pre-buses their table. And they're just like looking around like, what's going on? They're being served. Yeah, You will watch people mm-hmm. get in their wallet, get oh. a couple of bucks and come in and put cash in the tip jar. Sweet. Because mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not expected, but. People are tipping based on the level of service that they're getting. And I know in Lake Nona, Another I can tell you the credit card, the credit card percent mm-hmm. is anywhere from 10 to 13%, which for fast food, I mean, my kids are in love, right? It's like, what the heck, man? So it's not expected, but the kids definitely earn it.
1: Let's talk about locations and franchisees coming into the fold first of all, what are you looking for in terms of experience and business acumen and that sort of thing versus the training that you provide? You recognize potential in someone they may have never been in the restaurant business before or even owned a business, yet you can just tell in your first round of interviews that these people have the commitment. They know that they can follow a formula. They're intelligent people, and they've got a dream, and they're going to follow you to the end of the earth. I mean, there's a wide range of people that you're coming in contact with. So, one, how do you evaluate people, and what are you looking for? And then, two, um, are you looking across the country in any location, and then you you fly there and you scout out the the neighborhood? And the do you have real estate people on your team that are picking locations or helping them negotiate leases? Like, take us through that whole process, if you would.
0: Well, we're very opportunistic. So the development team, you know, they do a lot of outreach to find franchisees. But we're I mean, we're open from Worcester, Massachusetts to Las Vegas. <clears throat> so it's what what we really want in a franchisee is. There's there's personality involved, because if you're a real if you're not extroverted, you're not going to go out and do what's necessarily necessary in the community and if you don't you won't be successful you, it, we are not chick-fil-a we are not you know put the building in the middle of a cornfield and you're busy you have to work for it you have to get out of the community and show them who you are once you decide and we decide i mean we have two different architects that we use nationwide we have a construction company that we use nationwide We have a partnership with CBRE, which is the largest commercial real estate company in the country.
1: I'm familiar with that
0: that. they work our site selection for us and they know, you know, what our deal breakers are. Mm -hmm. They look for X amount of population density, traffic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't strike out on real estate. You know, it's been surprisingly for you know people complaining about the economy this year has been really interesting in the fact that there's a lot of people fighting for that same 12 to 1500 square feet so you as a franchisee have to be ready to pull the trigger because if you're not there's two other companies that are looking tomorrow that are going to be and we're all looking for that same sweet spot because no one wants a three or four thousand square foot restaurant anymore no one wants to pay that kind of overhead for wasted space. I mean, we are 60% takeout. So we want to be where there's hospitals. We want to be where there's a good amount of daytime population for business. You know, if there's a university like we have in Worcester, Massachusetts, and, you know, we're blocks away in Salt Lake City from the University of Utah, um, et cetera. We know exactly what we want. Mm-hmm. CBRE knows exactly what we want. And we just let the experts do what they do.
1: Fantastic. So let's go back to the experience or the acumen of people. Are you getting a highly qualified potential operator for the most we part? We are.
0: It's it's much different now than it was You know when we started. Yeah, we We're getting a lot more sophisticated investor, people that are lifetime business people yep. that are looking to, you know, the pandemic has changed the way people think about life, right. And being an office drone and working from home. And now they want to do a legacy thing for their children. And we're seeing a lot of that with like the Blackwell family in Arizona. It's all about their son, Brett, and doing a legacy thing for him. I love that. You know, uh, the McNulty family in St. Pete. you know, Matt is on the road, man. 50% 50% of the month for his job and he's got, you know, these beautiful twin boys and this is a legacy thing that he wants to grow for his set himself. So he's not missing out on, you know, the twins lives. And it, it makes a difference between because life is too short. Right. And tomorrow is not promised to anybody. And these guys, these lifetime, you know, million mile, airline mile travelers are starting to think about yep. what do I got to do to see, you know, Stephanie, my wife and my twin boys on a more regular basis. So.
1: Do you have any type of um, quota? is not the word or preference isn't necessarily the word, but there are a lot of franchise companies out there that really have uh, favor multi-unit operators—people that aren't just going to start one store, but people that are going to have five or ten stores. That would be my first question. Does it matter to Island Fin if you have ambitions to be a multi-unit operator or just a single-location operator?
0: You know, in the beginning, it's we we sign singles, we sign you mm-hmm. know doubles. Matt McNulty that I just mentioned is uh he's the area rep for the the west coast of Florida so he'll develop <clears throat> 20 restaurants over there as kind of a sub franchisor the same thing with with Steve Kretch in Miami so it makes it much easier on me as people open multiple units uh, Jeff and Brenda Sprout just opened their second unit in Trinity uh, Jim Way in Worcester is under construction on his second unit. Matt McNulty is looking for his second unit. Those things, because there's a learning curve with that first restaurant, as people open second locations and third locations, it makes my job much easier.
1: So the magic question that, that logically follows that one is the more stores there are, the greater the guest brand recognition, the greater the whole concept works for the individual operator versus the multi-unit operator. And based on the location, whether it's a metropolitan area or a large population center, is there a certain one exclusive territory where within so many miles there can or can't be another one operated by a different operator? Um, is there a proven formula that says within so many miles, we can have so many of these because business brings more business and brings more recognition to the, to the, you know, to the chain, you know, onto itself. Uh, what's that formula look like or, or what's your approach to it?
0: Yeah. In the, in the uh, FDD, it's a hundred thousand population or three miles.
1: Okay. Three miles. So And that 000. would change.
0: I mean, we were in yeah. New York city uh, two weeks ago, last week last weekend, um, looking at spaces and the decision is, do I want to build a corporate store up there? Cause I know that we would just crush it. Or do I want to be so selfish and do a franchise for Mark Setterington? And quite frankly, that's, you know, kind of what we're looking at. My daughters fell in love with New York city. Um, CBRE found me some home run spots. So now I just have to figure out, do I have the time to do it? So, and in New York, I mean, you could have island fins, you know, three blocks from each other.
1: Mark, you've given us some tremendous insights into your operational philosophies of this business. We've talked about unique competitive advantages. We talked about food that literally sells itself. We talked about Ohana culture, magic formula here for uh, Secrets to Success. I think you provided tremendous value to our audience today. And for that, I say, thank you very much.
0: Oh, I appreciate you having me. This was great.
1: That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. I thank my audience for tuning in. We wish everyone to stay well. Thanks, Mark, for being with us and to Island Finn Poke. You know, you brought me to the North Shore of Oahu in this episode, and I'm riding that big wave right to the beach where I can't wait to get a poke bowl. So thanks again for being with us. Thanks also to the sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu, Smithfield Culinary, Spark Plug. Serve the restaurant training app at srvnow.com and the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Thanks for being with us. Can't wait to see you next time. Stay tuned and stay well. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high risk, high fail business. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers, not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy and I'll show you how it's done.